Ho, 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 and a very wintry, warm welcome to your Christmas debrief. I'm Angus Scott. Full of the usual gifts and crackers we are this week, and today we feature three wise men in a transfer window special. Just who will be buying the best presents for their squad this festive season, and who will turn out to be Scrooges and not hand out any presents at all? Wise man number one, Fabrizio Romano, will be with us shortly for his take on the upcoming window. But joining us from Saudi, where he was guided by a star, is wise man number two, Ben Jacobs. Hiya, Ben. How are things? Disappointed that I wasn't given the email brief to wear my Christmas jumper. You've out-Christmas me somehow. Of all people, Ben, you not to have a Christmas jumper. Something is amiss. I suppose it's just I'm in Saudi where Christmas isn't celebrated. So I'm wearing bright orange and looking like a tangerine, but you've got an amazing tree and jumper as well. So I give it a nine out of 10. Excellent. Well, that's from you. That's not bad. So um, that's much appreciated. Look, um, Club World Cup in full swing. You're out there, but we want to talk transfer window coming up very shortly. And we'll have more on this clearly throughout the debrief in January, where every week we'll feature, feature what's going on in the transfer window. But what is your feeling, Ben, about what we can expect for January this year? Well, I don't think it will be quite as crazy Angus as January last year, certainly not in the context, for example, of Chelsea, but they're going to be busy. Tottenham have had injuries and are going to need to sign a few players. Newcastle will need to be opportunistic, but are restricted by financial fair play. And as a result, they might have to look at loans. Arsenal spent big over the summer. I think that they'll predominantly wait until summer 2024. But if someone else moves for a target that they're looking for, then they might have to change and adapt. And this is why Chelsea made the January window, the previous one, so interesting because by moving earlier than expected, anybody else had to react and we got a crazy January. This will be a bit more conservative. I think here in Saudi Arabia as well, a lot of the clubs are saying their budget spent for the entire season. They're going to wait until summer. They've also got foreign quotas filled as well. So that will be a factor as well. Maybe last summer, it was bigger and more dramatic than we expected because Saudi were the new players to the market. I don't expect them to be as aggressive or active this coming January. So you're looking to tweak. And I think Chelsea kind of need a one-in, one-out so their squad size doesn't swell. I think that Arsenal would normally go with what they've got. But have they learned anything from William Saliba's injury in the backstretch of last season? And does that influence them to try and get a bit more depth? So they can challenge and ultimately try and win the Premier League. And then Liverpool are equally as interesting as well. They've done their midfield revamp, but they're top of the Premier League at the time of recording. Do they try and just strengthen a little bit to make sure that they get that D word depth? So I'm not expecting anything crazy. We'll delve into some of the names and the clubs in a little bit more detail. But I think it's fascinating because there's once again heading into the window due to injuries, due to the congested fixture calendar, due to where some of the major players are in the table. There's once again a big need for recruitment. It's just the fact that January is essentially more of a seller's market and it is so difficult in that month to get business done. Absolutely. But let's go through some of the clubs that you have mentioned, you've touched on. Is the need at Chelsea bigger than being most? I mean, there's been such a huge turnaround there. And clearly, there's this is a work in progress. But are Chelsea actively going to be a pretty busy during January? 
I think Chelsea want an elite striker. Now, whether that's January or 2024 remains to be seen. And by elite, we are talking about Harry Kane type statistics at the moment anyway, but a little bit younger. And those names are not just out there on the market. So Chelsea can't get two elite level strikers in likelihood, especially because the formation they play only has one lead striker at the moment. It might be different if they were playing a 4-4-2 or a 4-3-3 and they were looking for a central and a wide forward. But in this 4-2-3-1, they want the one. And as long as Nicholas Jackson, who now has seven Premier League goals and Amanda Broya stay at the club, and it's not a guarantee that Broya will stay, they want that one who is ultimately indisputably a prolific goal scorer you can chuck into the Premier League. And they don't really exist. You could say Victor Osterman, but he's likely to sign a new deal putting him out of January. There will be a release clause, though, allowing summer. And that might mean that Chelsea waits if they're happy, for example, with Christopher Nkunku coming back from injury and scoring goals. There's Ivan Tony, who has excellent Premier League numbers. But my understanding is that he would welcome a move from Arsenal. And in addition to that, Chelsea's recruitment team is still a little bit divided as to whether he's the one. Ollie Watkins was looked at six months ago before he signed a new Villa deal, but he's a little bit older, much like Ivan Tony as well. So Chelsea's recruitment drive is going to be based upon a healthy debate. And you'd expect that because you don't want a load of yes men and women. The model can only function if there's this freedom to debate. And at the moment, there's division because they're waiting to see how Nkunku does. They're waiting to see whether Jackson continues to score. They're waiting to see whether Broya can come in and score or whether he's going to feel he's too far down the pecking order and wants to leave. So there's a lot of variables at play. Add to that the fact that not all of these names are going to be available in January and Chelsea have to decide whether they want to stick or twist, whether they want to move aggressively in January, but maybe at the expense of summer, or whether they want to put all of their eggs in the Osaman basket and just wait. And there's a few other names on the Chelsea list as well. A young name, for example, like Antonio Nusa, who we've spoken about before. And these profiles are interesting because it's a complete split in many ways. You have the recruitment team who are looking for the future and you have Pochettino who wants the now because his job depends on it. And when you have a recruitment team whose KPIs are plan a strategy over four windows, but you have a manager who's only on a two-year guaranteed contract, you have to balance those two things. And of course, the manager will want now because he's not going to be around if the young strategy works, if results don't come right now. So Pochettino will input asking for proven Premier League quality, but he's not pulling the strings. Lawrence Stewart and Paul Winstanley and Bed Bali will be looking for their strategy over more than one window and still pushing youth and the compromise is if an elite name that all parties think is going to improve Chelsea now and for the future materializes you go out and get them and that will be Chelsea's priority but I think as I've explained it's easier said than done then they'll be looking for a centre-back and again that might be January it might be the summer and outgoings are going to be important Trevor Chalobah they want to lose they will potentially loan Noni Madueke, who hasn't had much game time. And Conor Gallagher is the most interesting one. He's been captain of Chelsea. Pochettino would like to keep him. But if the right offer comes in from the club's perspective, Chelsea would be willing to listen to offers. 
So, I mean, that's that's a huge um, sort of upturn in in player activity um, that that might happen in January, which again might be disruptive for uh, Chelsea. You don't know. There, there seems to have been so much disruption over so many transfer windows and and managerial levels and takeover levels. It's going to be a really difficult time for Chelsea, and we'll see how all that plays out. Look, I, I, when you look at um, Newcastle, know their fate now, um, European wise. Let's look at them as a club. I know clearly. Uh, there are financial constraints on what is going on at St. James's Park. But the probably the key thing for Eddie Howe now is to try and secure a place back in Europe for next year, bearing in mind they've ended their European venture this time around. What do you get a feeling of, um, Ben, about what might happen up at, at Newcastle this transfer window? Well, Newcastle are restricted by financial fair play. And Eddie Howe's already said that loans will be the priority if they can get something over the line. It might be a loan with an option or an obligation, but I don't really think that Newcastle will be particularly active in January, especially, as you say, now that out of European football, they maybe would have pushed a bit harder if there was a situation where they needed that depth and they wanted to make a challenge for the Champions League. But now we have to look at Newcastle as only focusing on the league and, of course, the League Cup. Maybe by the time some people are listening to this, they will realise whether or not Newcastle is still in the League Cup or not, because that game against Chelsea is midweek. But it's all domestic for Newcastle, and qualifying for the Champions League is the only thing that really matters. Ironically, by Newcastle and Manchester United going out of the Champions League, the English rankings at the moment have dropped, and that means that top five is no longer an absolute guarantee. I think it's Italy and Germany are ahead in those rankings as it stands. So suddenly Newcastle will be wanting the English teams in the Champions League and Europa League and Europa Conference League to do better. And then if they finish in fifth place, they'll still be able to qualify for the Champions League. I think that goalkeeper is going to be an interesting one. Nick Pope is out for the first few months of the year with a dislocated shoulder that needed surgery. Martin Dubravka has the faith of Eddie Howe, but faith as a goalkeeper is only as good as clean sheets and top saves. So if that doesn't work over the coming months, then Newcastle might look for another goalkeeper still. It's not impossible on a loan deal. There's been no approach to David De Gea, contrary to some reports, but of course he is a free agent. The challenge there is just he would have to take a much, much lower wage than he was on when he was contracted to Manchester United, probably 30% of his Manchester United wage, because Newcastle don't really go above 120, 140,000 a week. And at Manchester United, he was on about 325,000 pounds a week. So that one's not easy. But again, there is faith in Dubravka. Tonali is banned, and there is a desire potentially to replace him, at least in the short term. And Calypse has been mentioned, but Fabrizio will go into more detail a little bit later. Juventus have come into the mix for Calvin Phillips. And Newcastle haven't made that approach yet to Manchester City because, first of all, they don't know exactly what they want to do in a 4-3-3 midfield where they have got young players that can come in. Lewis Miley's done really well. Elliot Anderson is there when he's fit as well. Sean Longstaff, a slightly older player, was brought back into the side and did really, really well. And it's only a three in midfield. So you're always going to have Bruno Guimaraes. Joe Linton is back in the midfield rather than the front three. So there's actually not that many spaces, which means Newcastle may say, we'll just stick with what we've got rather than risking bringing in someone like Calvin Phillips who might rock the boat. They might just wait for Tonali to come back, both because it's better fit for them and also because they may feel like 
financially speaking, they can then move more aggressively in the summer if they get Champions League football. Newcastle could also look at a forward, but I think that it will be more for the summer of 2024 rather than January as well. So I'm expecting them to be quite quiet. And I do think they're going to have to settle for loans rather than permanent signings if they do move in the January window. Well, just before we go to uh, Fabrizio, uh, Ben, let's just throw Spurs into the mix. And is there still that need uh, potentially for a centre-back? Because uh, we need some cover there and uh, and potentially as for a striker as well. Yeah, I think the Tottenham needs signings. Ange Postacoglu has made no secret of that. And a new centre-back will be the priority rather than a Kane replacement, if you like. We've spoken before on this show about Santi Jimenez. And Tottenham are certainly one of the clubs that are scouting him, uh, along with a variety of others. But the big area of improvement has to be centre-back because Tottenham are without Mickey van der Ven until the new year. Eric Dyer and Ashley Phillips are also injured as well. So this has been the plan, I think, since mid or late November. And in hindsight, you could probably argue that selling Davinson Sanchez in September left the club too short of cover. So now Tottenham need to move quickly in order to find depth. And there'll be a few that they're looking at. I think that Jonathan Tarr at Leverkusen is one name on the list. We know that Tottenham have previously looked at Tapsoba as well, but it's so hard to buy a player from Leverkusen over the January period because they're flying and a lot of these guys are enjoying their life under Javi Alonso. And in addition to that, we should point out that Leverkusen's strategy, as their CEO told me when I was in Miami in an on-record interview, is to lose a maximum of two in the next two windows from their star assets. So you can never control it entirely if you're Leverkusen, but they're not there resigning themselves to selling. They are waiting and seeing whether in the summer they can persuade these star names to stay for a little bit longer. And why jump ship from Leverkusen at the moment? You've also got the sporting defender, Gonzalo Ignacio, who has been interesting to... Tottenham and to an extent to Arsenal as well. They've done a kind of normal scouting on the player and he's been on the Manchester United list as well. And then there might be something in terms of Premier League cover as well. Trevor Chalobah will be a very interesting name. Bayern was his club of destination, but you might find a Premier League club come in. Nottingham Forest tried in the back end of last summer. Chalobah didn't want to go. He wanted to play at a higher level. He wanted European football. At that point, Spurs were not on the radar because they were not looking. They just signed Mickey van der Ven. But he's available in the market and probably at quite a good price as well, because Chelsea will want to resolve that one early in the window. He's injured, unfortunately, at the moment, which is the downside. But don't be surprised if Tottenham pivot from this longer-term, younger centre-back to maybe a more proven Premier League player that can do a job in the second half of the season until some of these other names come back. All right, Ben, we'll leave it there for a moment. And I know a little bit earlier, you caught up with uh, Fabrizio, his, who is obviously expecting to be busy in the next month or so. Fabrizio, thanks for joining us. Our last chat before the January transfer window opens. So make sure that you get some rest. You're going to be busy 
Let's start with Victor Osaman. We know that a new deal is close until 2026, but does that rule out a summer exit? No, I don't think so. I think it's just a new deal to protect Napoli and to give Napoli the opportunity to control the negotiation in a different way. Of course, there will be a release clause into it, uh, as it was expected. So let's see how much it's going to be. I, I'm hearing around 130, 140 million euros still to be uh, completed, but the risk loss will be there. It's just one more year of contract, so just to protect Napoli in the in the negotiation. And also, I think the real news after this contract extension is going to be that, as always said here, I don't see Victor Osimhen leaving in Germany. So the mission of this contract is to keep Osimhen at Napoli till the end of the season, to get Napoli in the top four in the in the Serie A table, and then in the summer, probably to let him go at Napoli conditions. So with the release clause, which is an important one and would make the history of Italian football, because in case Osimhen would leave for the value of the release clause, it would be uh, the biggest sale in the history of, of Italian football. If Osimhen doesn't go in January, but Chelsea want a striker, are they faced with a difficult decision as to whether to wait until summer for Osaman or buy now? Or do you sense that Chelsea might bring in more than one striker if they're to go after Osaman and still try and sign somebody else in January? Yeah, I think it's going to be difficult. Uh, I think it's not an easy decision because we know Chelsea project, we know Chelsea ideas, they always want to sign players who are right fit for their idea and young players. And it's not easy to find a young, good and uh, available striker in the January transfer window. So it's really, really complicated. They are having internal discussions with the directors, the owners, the manager, Mauricio Pochettino also, also involved. So the discussion is, is ongoing. But at the moment, from what I'm hearing, there is still no decision made or no negotiation at the advanced stages with any any player because Chelsea are still deciding internally what they want to do. Osimhen has always been in their list, but again, in January, is going to be more than complicated, in my opinion, almost impossible. And so the other names uh, available are not that easy or maybe not that cheap to sign. And so that's why for Chelsea, it's still time for an internal discussion before saying, OK, we want that player. Ivan Tony, another name linked with Chelsea and Arsenal as well. How easy is a January transfer? Because it seems like Brentford want crazy money. Yeah, they want important money. Otherwise, they're more than happy to keep the player at the club till the end of the of the season and then let him go in the summer transfer window. So I think also for Tony, it's not an easy one. And also for for uh, for Arsenal at the moment with the financial fair play situation, to go there and put big money on the table is not easy at all. Also, they have David Raya on loan from Brentford and it makes things even more, more complicated. From what I'm hearing, the player would be really keen on an Arsenal opportunity, Arsenal experience. So Tony is really tempted by that possibility. Obviously, also open to, to Chelsea, but at the moment with Chelsea, there is still no advanced discussion. It's not something concrete. With Arsenal, there is still an internal discussion about Ivan Tony, and for sure, is one of the names they mentioned internally. But at the moment, still not a concrete negotiation because of the price. So it's not easy to find an important striker in general available for good money. Moving on to Chelsea's midfield and an outgoing, Conor Gallagher is dividing opinion. Maurizio Pochettino spoke very highly about him, but the Chelsea manager also said it's up to the club whether they offer Gallagher a new deal. Do you sense he's available at the right price in the market in January? I think he was already available in the summer uh, for an important for an important bid, obviously, because they didn't want to accept 30 or 35 millions, but he's always been available. That's the reality. Now, his contract is due to expire in 2025, so the idea of Chelsea is to have a conversation with Conor Gallagher and with his representatives. I think in January, if they receive an important proposal, and when I say important, it has to be 
something way higher than 30 or 35 millions, they could be open to discussing, but it's not something that they 100% approved yet. So it's not that they decided internally, okay, we're going to sell Conor Gallagher. We are not at that stage yet. But the conversation is ongoing. Pochettino has been very clear. I think the press conference yesterday was a strong message when he mentions uh, his kind of player we need in our squad. He knows what it means to be a Chelsea. It's a strong message from the manager. So I think there is still a very good chance to negotiate a new contract, but I would keep the situation open for Gallagher. Let's move on to Manchester City. I'm here with them for the Club World Cup. There's a lot of talk about Calvin Phillips. You broke a story earlier saying that there's interest from Juventus. What more can you tell us? Yeah, Juventus made contact with Manchester City from what I told in the last, uh, from what they told in the last two three days. There was a direct discussion between Juventus and Manchester City for Calvin Phillips. Juve are looking for a new midfielder after the situation of Paul Pogba, Nicolo Fagioli. They need a player in that position. And Calvin Phillips is probably one of the best opportunities around Europe in that in that position. That's why Juventus already made contact with his agents at the end of November, when the director Giuntoli was in uh, London to, to follow Tottenham games and, and more. He was discussing the possibility to sign Calvin Phillips. And other two clubs are speaking. Chelsea, uh, sorry, Man City want a home deal with a mandatory option, so formally a permanent transfer. While the idea that Juventus is different is to do a loan deal with a buy option, which is free, so they can decide in the summer transfer window whether they want to sign Calvin Phillips or not. They're also speaking about the loan fee, the salary coverage. So at the moment there is a negotiation ongoing, still nothing guaranteed, but Calvin Phillips is for sure one to watch for Juventus because they want him and they will try to find a solution with Manchester City. Let's move on to Manchester United. Jaden Sancho, there's some suggestions today that Leipzig might be entering the race. What more can you tell us about Sancho's future? I think it's not about clubs interested now, but it's about what May United really want to do with Sancho because the expectation remains for Sancho to leave in January. But May United have to decide whether they want to accept loan proposals or only permanent transfer opportunities. That's the crucial part of this story, I think, because for Sancho is very clear that the only way for him to return into the squad is to apologize and to speak to Eric and Hank, the coaching staff, but this is not happening. So the only way now is for May United to decide whether they want to wait for a permanent deal proposal or to accept loan opportunities. In case they accept a loan, there is Juventus interest. It's true that clubs in Germany are really interested. But at the moment, no one received a call from May United saying, OK, we are prepared to accept a loan. So that's why I think the situation remains open. But it depends on United more than on Leipzig, Dortmund or Juventus. They need to decide what they want to do with Sancho. And I think it will stay, still take some time because they still hope to receive a permanent transfer proposal for, uh, for Jadon Sancho. Just finally, Fabrizio, because I know you're tight for time. A lot of clubs are looking for defenders, particularly in the Premier League. Leverkusen have got Tar, Tapsoba and Hincape. Are they going to be in demand and could any of them leave as early as January? I think for January it's going to be difficult. For sure, some players are not happy not to play. Like Incapié is a great centre-back, left-footed centre-back, and not to play is, is a problem. But at the same time, Leverkusen want to keep all the players. They are doing fantastic in all competitions. So their idea is to keep going and to continue with the same squad. So they will try to keep all the players in the January transfer window. At the moment, for Jonathan Ta, still no changes. A lot of interest, but I think it's likely to leave in the summer transfer window. For Tapsoba, they were able to extend his contract in September. So at the moment, the situation is very quiet. A lot of interest from England since long time. Tottenham and United have been scouting him, but at the moment nothing concrete because I don't think it's going to happen in, uh, in January. And for Incapier, let's see if something happens because the player is not super happy about the situation. But again, Leverkusen will try to keep the entire squad as they're doing uh, fantastic.
Fabrizio, get some rest, keep up the good work. We wish you and your family a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year, and we'll speak to you in 2024. Thank you, thank you. See you soon. Good luck to, to you. Enjoy your holidays, and thanks a lot. Ciao. Ben, Fabrizio is uh, fascinating as ever. One name you didn't mention there was uh, Jao Palinia. What are you expecting of him during the window uh, from Fulham? Yeah, it's an interesting story because Paulinho was basically at Bayern and waiting for a move to be sanctioned. He'd been given permission in the summer to go over there and join. He was hoping it would be done, but Fulham were always up front. It was contingent upon their business, which never happened. So back came Paulinho and he's still a Fulham player. And Fulham are looking for really what I would term crazy money for Jawa Paulinho. We're not talking about 40, 50 million. We're talking... I think, closer to 70, 75 million if the players to be sold in January. So there's no guarantee of a January sale. So what we can say is that the Arsenal interest is very genuine. And I think if Arsenal had dream business, it would be Douglas Luiz. But that aside, if they could get Jawa Palinia, there is certainly admiration and they've definitely done their due diligence on it. It's just whether January is possible because the price is so high. And I don't think that... It's geared towards Arsenal in January, unless they can somehow do what they did with David Rea and get him on a loan with an option or an obligation to buy. And then they can generate a structure that helps them with financial fair play. And Fulham just may not play ball. So Paulinho will leave Fulham, as I'm told anyway, in 2024. It's just a case of whether it's January or summer. And January has its complications. The links with Liverpool are not true, I'm told. They're being categorically denied by my Liverpool sources. We hear a lot of Liverpool and Arsenal and a Premier League bidding war. I'm told Liverpool were not in for Paulinho last summer and they're not going to be in for Paulinho in January as well. They've got other targets. So I would not really bank upon Fulham getting this big bidding war that they may be hoping for from Premier League clubs. And of course, Bayern are interesting. There's a lot of talk in Germany that Bayern have kind of cooled because not only are they happy with their dynamic at the moment, but financially, again, it's a difficult deal to pull off. So if they re-enter the race, which is still obviously a possibility, given how close they were to signing him last summer, uh, Paulinho mentally was already at Bayern. And that can help. That can mean if the German club do come calling, even if Arsenal were to enter the race, the player still was locked into that pitch, playing under that manager, developing a partnership with Harry Kane and so on. But at the moment, Bayern haven't re-advanced anything. They've not pre-lined anything up for January. So uh, Paulinho is going to have to wait and see who his suitors are. And Fulham are quite happy to let January tick away and just not sell. Ben, um, look, you're out in Saudi at the moment, as we pointed out. One name that went over there uh, six months or so ago, Bobby Firmino, um, word that, that he's not happy or that this one's not working out properly. And what are the likelihoods... Uh, the chances of him actually staying or or actually leaving the country. Yeah, Bobby Firmino's in Al Ali here in Jeddah, the other club. It was Al Ittihad playing at the Club World Cup. And he joined to a fanfare. He scored a hat-trick early on. And then slowly but surely, his game time has been limited. And he's not necessarily the best kind of fit stylistically at the football club under Matthias Jassel, the relatively new a manager who had joined um, Al Ali also over the summer. So I think that Firmino is available as far as I'm told on the Al Ali side. 
preferably for a loan. And they want him to, in an ideal world, stay in Saudi Arabia because the optics of signing someone like that, paying them handsomely and then letting them go after six months is not ideal for the league. So I think we may see a scenario, depending on what Firmino is open to, whereby he's loaned out between now and the end of the season. And then potentially he leaves Saudi if it's still not working in the summer. And there's a couple of clubs that are looking. One is Al-Shabaab. And Al-Ali want to do business with Al-Shabaab. Al-Shabaab are still undecided because they can see his form at the moment isn't ideal. And Al-Shabaab were the kind of left-out team, the one that were not controlled by PIF, but they're another big club. And they then had board upheaval and politics, so they weren't able to really make too many flagship foreign signings. So they're going to be one to watch. And they are certainly considering Firmino at this point. They've just not made a 100% determination yet. And then you have Steven Gerrard's Alitifak, who are on a dreadful run of form. Gerrard knows Firmino. Henderson is there as well. And they would love Henderson. So there's no doubt they would move if they could. But their challenge is financial because they don't have the big budgets. Again, they're not controlled by PIF. So they're going to need some help, which means that Al-Ali are going to have to pay at least 50% of Firmino's wages, maybe even more. Otherwise, that deal simply can't happen. And Alitifak are still quite pessimistic that they're going to be able to make anything work. But Gerard, who I spoke to a couple of days ago, it was really clear. He needs signings. He's only got one win in 11. Things are not going according to plan to challenge for either the top six or potentially the top four. He needs major recruitment in January, which is difficult because Alitifak need to get rid of two foreigners first if they're going to make foreign signings. And they need to find budget and they've spent their budget for the season. But Gerard will push for that if he possibly can. I'm not sure that Alitifak are favourites at this point, but unlike Al-Shabaab, they've decided if they can get Firmino, they want Firmino. It's just the small matter of Al-Ali having to almost help them. And it sounds like, why would they? Why would Al-Ali pay 100% of the wages or 50% of the wages? Because the total wage is about 9 million. So for half a season, it's a lot of money. But this is kind of the Saudi Pro League. There are centralised elements and the clubs are in some ways trying to do each other favours, even though they're rivals, because if it's good for Saudi, then it's beneficial for all of the clubs. So something could happen there. But I suspect if Firmino does leave Al-Ali mid-season, it might be to another Saudi club. OK, Ben, let's return it back here at Manchester United. Um, the, the takeover has been a long-running saga. Um, are, are we nearing some sort of announcement and noise a, a, about this? Because clearly it would help Old Trafford were uh, Sir Jim Ratcliffe to come in with his uh, cash, take over the sporting side of it before the transfer window starts. Yeah, difficult to influence January because of financial fair play in Manchester United, obviously out of the Champions League. And the fact that even if it's announced when people are listening to this, you've still got the completion process. So Radcliffe's aim is to get in at some point in January, but that's more for a transition and to do a strategic review to build for the summer than to come in and spend a ton of money. And as a 25% owner of the football club, he is investing $300 million of his own money into the club. But it's not like he can do what Clear Lake Bowley did in January or even potentially in the summer and just spend, spend, spend. So Manchester United's January, I think, will be quieter than most people expect. I think outgoings will be important and will pave the way for incomings, which is why 
the futures, for example, of Rafa Varane or Casemiro or Jaden Sancho or Anthony Martial are all being discussed. With Martial, I think that if the right offer comes, Manchester United will accept. With Sancho, they still want a solution. And when Alitifak, the only club to my knowledge that made a credible offer last summer, came calling, they said we'll take a loan. Manchester United said we want a 50 million obligation to buy. So that's the kind of valuation for Sancho. It's probably gone down a little bit now because ultimately he's not been playing in the first half of the season and everyone knows very publicly what's gone on. But I still think Manchester United will want a minimum 40 million for Sancho. So that's the kind of money that can potentially trigger your incomings. And then with Varane and Casemiro, it's more if the right offer came calling and the players wanted to go, then Manchester United would sell either in January or in the summer. But if the right offer doesn't come, Manchester United is not desperate to get rid of those players. So the players will be able to define those kind of moves. And then maybe if we were talking six months ago, we'd be saying Harry Maguire, Scott McTominay, but they've been so important to Manchester United that there's almost no desire anymore to get rid of them. But because they're playing so well, they've kind of played Manchester United out of a potential fee that maybe they would have been planning for and expecting before a ball was kicked. And because Maguire's not young, it means if Manchester United want to revamp, they're like caught in many ways strategically because they want Maguire, they want McTominay, they want the form players, but they also need the money in order to be able to revamp. And this is what's going to restrict Manchester United in January. So Ratcliffe's got big plans, but I think his first major recruitments will be on executive level to sort out the sporting director. And there's talk of people like Paul Mitchell, Dougie Freeman, Dan Ashworth at Newcastle as well, which would be a real coup if they can prize him away from that project. So I think Ratcliffe will look to be patient and we'll see more of a recruitment impact in the summer and more change at executive level before the summer. And that will be the first sort of thing that Ratcliffe does after taking sporting control. And whenever it's announced, it may be this week, it may be a little bit longer. I'm reticent now to put a specific timescale on it because I've done enough takeovers and we've been burned enough times that when we think it's going to be done, it takes a little bit more time. And part of that is because Manchester United is on the New York Stock Exchange. So it has to be 100% board approved and done and announced to the New York Stock Exchange and the investors before they can make the official public announcement via the media. And it doesn't matter whether it's one tiny thing or one massive thing, whether it's a legal delay, whether it's an error on the paperwork because the printer died and you ran out of ink, or whether it's a massive negotiation point about what you're going to pay. You have to have it 100% done. Other takeovers, you can get it 90% done. You can be in an exclusive period. You can choose to announce it. This takeover has to be 100% done. And that's why even if they think it's almost done, they simply cannot announce it until it's absolutely done. So we're going to have to wait and see. But the priority is going to be to make it public for stability so everyone knows what's going on, even though it's a matter of when, not if. And then there is still the completion process, which means that if it was done today, then Ratcliffe would probably get in by mid-January. But if it's not announced until after Christmas, then it's likely that Ratcliffe won't come in until at the earliest, the end of the January transfer window, which again tells you that he can't really influence it. Ben, thanks very much indeed. Um, you've had a busy time out there in uh, Saudi, but really interesting for you to uh, 
bring us the inside track on uh, some of those Saudi issues as well as domestically in the Premier League. Um, we're going to take a little rest for a couple of weeks, aren't we, Ben? We're going to recharge and come back with a Jan January transfer window special where we're going to be uh, very, very busy indeed. First week in January, we will be back and I'll still be having the Christmas jumper. I'm a believer that the festive jumpers and the decorations can stay up until the end of the January transfer windows. So <laughs> don't be surprised if I return from Saudi and I'm still wearing the festive jumper. But yeah, we'll be back first week in January. And of course, by then the window will be open. So Fabrizio will be with us every single show. And during that time, he'll be the busiest man on the planet. But I can promise you, if anything happens, you will hear it here first from Fabrizio on the debrief. Yeah, you have taken the words right out of my mouth. Uh, thank you, Ben. Uh, enjoy your Christmas. Everybody who's listening and watching, enjoy your Christmas too. It's been great to have you for the ride so far during this season. As Ben says, we'll be back in January where we will have three or four very busy weeks indeed as we deal with the transfer um, season. And also uh, we will have Fabrizio Romano every week again, as Ben has said. So from us all, uh, the three wise men. <laughs> I didn't really include myself in that, but I suppose I am now. Uh, it is uh, goodbye from the debrief and festive greetings. Money.